the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify! Crucify! But Pilate answered, You take him and you crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law, and according to that law, he must die, because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from, he asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me, Pilate said? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin." From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews, but they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answers. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. This is the gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning. For those who are visiting, my name is Paul. I'm the senior pastor here, and again, a warm welcome to each of you. I'm honored to be able to share from John 19 today. That's uh, a game-changing passage. But before we dive in, would you bow your heads with me as I share a brief word of prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come, in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to begin by asking everyone this question. Have you ever considered that even in the chaos and uncertainty of life, God is on your side? As shared by Channel 2 News out of Atlanta on October 1st of 2021, a bus full of kids was headed to school when the driver had a medical emergency. That's when the heroic actions of two middle school boys, your age, Jay, boys named Connor Doss and Kane Dougherty from East Paulding Middle School, saved their bus driver's life. Quote, I come out, I came into the aisle, I look down, and Miss Julie's face is bright red, and she's shaking. 
said the young man, Das. Thank God, as the whole thing began to unfold, the driver was able to navigate the bus to the side of the road, and that's when the boys knew it was serious, and they sprang into action. I hear her say, hey, somebody help. So I run up, and she's over there, and she's shaking so badly, said Dougherty. So I picked up the dispatch, the dispatch radio, and I said, somebody help us, somebody help us. Our driver is dizzy and not doing well. And then somebody called the driver's phone. Over the phone, the dispatcher next was able to direct the boys how to set the emergency brake on the bus, how to put the bus's flashing lights on, and how to extend that side arm to let people know that they shouldn't pass. Recall Doss, some were crying, some were screaming, and some were just panicking, referring to the other students on the bus. So the two boys did their best to calm everyone down and let them know everything was going to be all right. And they didn't just sit back and wait for things to unfold. They actually then went ahead and rolled down the bus's windows and started to wave at passerbyers and scream for help. And wouldn't you know it? Someone stopped. He pulled his car over. He was a local pastor. He came onto the bus and he prayed over the bus driver and the students. And then he stayed with the whole crowd until the ambulance arrived. Now listen, recalling that moment, said Dougherty, there, that, excuse me, that was a moment of relief, I think, for Miss Julie and for us to know God was on our side. Here's a picture of the boys as they were celebrated by their local school board. And the best news is the driver actually survived and is now recovering at home. I love a good story, don't you? What I love about this story is the following, how the boys were so brave and they sprang into action when they saw somebody in need. I love the quick thinking of the dispatcher as they guided the boys, excuse me, the boys to provide safeguards, safekeeping over all who were there. And I love the kindness and responsiveness of the pastor as he pulled over and came in with a prayerful and peaceful presence in the midst of a storm. Yet more than all of these things, I love the faith centrism of the whole story. Listen again what the young man Dougherty said, specifically in reference to the pastor's prayer. That was a moment of relief for Miss Julie and for us to know God was on our side. That's beautiful, right? Such trust, such faith, such a testimony for us all to now read. Oh, how different our worlds would be if we believed God was on our side. Think of the peace we would each carry. Think of the love we'd each share. Think of the rest we'd embrace. What if I told you that God wants each of us to experience these things and so much more today? Would you believe me?
Or would you just think, this is just some ancient, crazy fairy tale? Well, today, this offer in this message is found at the heart of our passage, John 19, verses 1 to 16. And this leads us to our big idea, our big takeaway. Faith is not determined by the uncertainty around us, but what Jesus has done for us. Let me repeat that. Faith is not determined by the uncertainty around us, but what Jesus has done for us. And we're going to unpack this truth through three points. Now, it's going to be a little different today because the first two points actually serve as warnings of what not to do in the face of uncertainty. And then the last point is an invitation, if you will, a a surprising reveal of what to do in the face of uncertainty. So let's dive in. Point one, when life becomes uncertain, beware of the pull to protect one's power. Our passage begins, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and they put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came up to him saying, hail, king of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, see, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And so Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, behold, the man. And when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Abraham Lincoln once said, nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. And here we see in our passage, the perversion of power in the heart of the religious leaders of Jesus's day. Specifically, we see it in a group called the Sanhedrin. So who were the Sanhedrin? Where they were the 70 leading religious leaders of the day, along with the high priest of ancient Israel. And they were tasked with keeping the peace and the purity of the Jewish people. They were first established during the time of Moses in Numbers chapter 11 and Deuteronomy chapter 16. And these, these men functions excuse me, functioned as the Supreme Court of Israel, if you will. And in John 18, the chapter right before our passage, we see these guys do the unthinkable. We read that they actually turn on Jesus, their own Jewish kin, and deliver him to their arch enemy, the Roman Empire. For a modern reader, we're left asking, what gives How in the world could this have happened, right? And yet, as you turn to John 19, our passage today, we see things actually get worse. This group, this leading group, men of the cloth, actually end up violently screaming, crucify him, crucify him, calling out to Pilate, the Roman governor of Judea at the time, to exterminate Jesus, get rid of him. Sentence him to death. And we're left asking, how is this possible? Right? Well, the answer is simple and yet heinous. The religious leaders felt Jesus threatened their power. 
You see, in that day and age, even though the nation of Israel was under Roman rule, who do you think kept rule on behalf of the Romans in the nation of Israel? Who collaborated with them over and over again? The Sanhedrin, these leaders. And in that day, the Sanhedrin, these religious leaders, kept hearing about this this young guy, this young leader, this young rabbi named Jesus. This Jesus would heal the sick. This Jesus would calm the storm. This Jesus would care for orphans and widows. This Jesus would call for the repentance of sins, both individually and corporately of the nation. And this Jesus would offer forgiveness in the Father's name. Some even believed this young, passionate, penniless preacher from Nazareth was the Messiah himself in the line of King David. So here's the question. Do you think this all excited? Do you think Jesus excited the Sanhedrin or threatened them? He threatened them. Perhaps a better question to ask is this. Were these faith leaders leading out of purity and spiritual fidelity or something else? They were leading out of something else. They were leading out of political power. It's all revealed earlier in the Gospel of John, John chapter 11, after Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead. Listen to these words. Verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, who'd come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him, Jesus, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council. This is another name for the Sanhedrin. And they said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away, catch this, both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand. It's better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. And if you skip down to the end of that passage, we read, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. You see, Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin had been planning all of this for some time. Why? Well, they wanted to save their place and their nation. Do you see it? That's why we now read of them screaming, crucify crucify. You see, the truth is, during uncertain times, people, even the best of people, can go to extreme lengths to protect their power no matter the cost. That was true of the Sanhedrin, and that is true even for you and for me. Power, specifically the pull to protect one's power, can quickly and far too easily become the most dominant thing in our hearts and our lives. If you don't believe me, just look at our country over the last few years. This group is rallying over here. This group is slandering over there. This group is plotting right here, and this group is weaponizing over there. In fact, some in the church, even some in this room, have bound our personal peace to a political person or party, and guess what? We now have no peace at all. Why? Because no person and no party can provide the peace that 
each of us, you and I long for. Listen to this. The truth is, as people of the word of God, we're never called to forsake our purity or spiritual fidelity to protect our power. Or as the Sanhedrin said, our place. We're never called to think that the ends justify the means to forsake our character and our witness. Thus, John 19 first starts with a warning for all of us. When life becomes uncertain, we must be aware of the pull to protect our power, no matter the cost. Otherwise, we may end up in a foxhole with people we do not trust and with a faith that is but a distant memory and a fraud. Look at what happens here to these leaders, leaders of Israel. By the end of our passage in verse 15, they end up forsaking everything, the very core of their belief. Away with him, away with him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. Point one, when life becomes uncertain around us, beware of that pull or temptation to protect one's power to the detriment of one's faith. This leads us to point two, when life becomes uncertain around us, beware of the pressure to compromise one's power. Now we turn to Pilate, okay? Martin Luther King Jr. once said, the ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. And how does Pilate stand in the moment of his greatest challenge and controversy on the world stage? How does he do? Well, he cracks and he ends up crumbling. Look at this. First in John 18, we read that the Sanhedrin, they bring Jesus to Pilate for an interrogation. And after questioning Jesus for some time about his identity and purpose, we read that Pilate then comes back outside and what's he say? I find no guilt in this man. Yet this makes the religious leaders all the angrier. And then in reaction to their anger, Pilate goes back inside and what does he do? He proceeds to have Jesus flogged, which I'll share more about in just a minute. But the point being, we're already seeing Pilate crumble or crack under the weight of external pressure pressure from these religious leaders of all people. The man, Pilate, was the Roman governor of Judea himself, and he had just declared Jesus innocent. Yet he then has him beaten. Why? Because he's compromising his power to appease these people. Foolishly, we then see Pilate try to straddle the fence between people-pleasing and living with conviction by bringing Jesus back outside. And at this point, Jesus is bruised and bloody. And then two more times we see in our passage, uh, we see Pilate say, I find no guilt in him. Verses four and six. And then how does this work? Does this appease these leaders? It does not. It actually incenses them all the more. Consequently, one last time, Pilate goes back inside with Jesus and then starts to plead with Jesus. You will not speak to me, we read. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And then through this exchange, we look and we see that there might be a breakthrough. Pilate actually might become a believer himself and release Jesus. But just like that, it all changes. 
It all comes crashing down. Pilate crumbles, and he sends Jesus to the cross. Why, we ask? Well, he received this message from the leaders outside. If you release this man, you're no, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. In other words, Pilate, if you side with Jesus, we will not only call for his crucifixion, we'll call for yours. You too will be a traitor of Rome. And it's under this weight, under this pressure, that Pilate crumbles. So let's bring this all into this room and in our place right now. Let me ask this question. Do any of you here struggle with people-pleasing? Confession. I do. In my family of origin, when our family would get into a fight, especially my mom and my dad, guess who was the first one out of his room to try to make everyone better? Me. That was the role I played growing up. And as I grew older, I found myself people-pleasing even when my convictions told me to do otherwise, even when my convictions told me to let people bear the weight of their responsibility, their choices. And you see, it's only after spending some time in counseling. Yeah, I'm a fan of counseling. Only after spending some time in counseling and with mentors and people who discipled me that I learned that pressure, especially the pressure to please others, does not in fact please God. I believe this to be true. All of us at one point or another will be pressured to compromise what we know to be right and true of our God, ourselves, and our world, and will crumble. It might be in a work setting, it might be in an online setting, it might be in a marriage setting, or it might be in a travel setting. Throughout life, there will be voices around us pressuring us to compromise. And here's the scary thing. Check this out. Here's the scary thing. As our passage makes clear, sometimes in life, these voices will not just be any voices. They'll be faith voices. Some of the biggest, biggest faith voices in our land. Now, if you're like me, that's really hard to hear. But the truth is, no person or leader is above the waterline of depravity. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and this includes our father Abraham, the great leader Moses, King David, the Apostle Paul, and Jim, you and me. That's the raw truth of it. This is why, check this out, this is why it's critical that if you call yourself a Christian, one voice must reign supreme in your life, and that is the voice of Jesus. To this end, I cannot urge you enough to daily spend time in God's word so that you not only grow in the faith, but you're guided in the faith to faithfully follow him. Point two, when life becomes uncertain around us, beware of the pressure to compromise one's power. This leads us to good news. Y'all ready for some good news? Point three, when life becomes uncertain around us, behold. Behold the sacrifice and the gift of Christ's power. Allow me to share a story I shared 
several years ago. There was once a Native American tribe who was suffering from the effects of a severe drought. Food was scarce, and the members of the tribe were beginning to steal from each other in order to survive. Well, the chief, knowing that such behavior would not only lead to division, but actually the death of the tribe, he issued a law that the person caught stealing would be brought into the center of the village, tied to a post, and then publicly whipped. Rumor has it that the exact number of lashes to be doled out would be 20. And sure enough, the next day they caught the thief. Yet to everyone's shock and horror, it's not what they expected. You see, the thief turned out to be the chief's own mom. What was he to do? The tribe wondered. What could he do? The chief, you see, was in an impossible spot. The chief loved his mother and wanted the best for her, but he loved his tribe and knew that justice needed to be served. So he had the men tie his mother in the middle of the village to a pole, and he instructed the punisher to take out the whip. And just as the warrior coiled back to strike his mother, he screamed, stop! And that's what, excuse me, that's when he did what no one would have ever expected. The chief took off his outer garments, exposing his skin and his back, and he walked to the pole. And he wrapped his arms around his mother, his broad shoulders covering every square inch of her. And then he screamed two words, the whip! And lash after lash, blow after blow, struck him, each time splintering his back open until all the punishment was doled out. That day in that tribe, justice was served and love was poured out in a way none of them would ever forget. And as we see in John 19 and in our passage today, before the Sanhedrin, Pilate in a watchful crowd, justice was served and love would be poured out in a way no one would ever forget by Jesus. Before his arrest and crucifixion in John 10, he actually predicted, called that this would happen. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to pick it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And such is why Jesus, after being flogged, where whips made of bone and metal repeatedly tore into his skin, where a crown made of thorn, some theologians think, were 12 inches long, was driven into his head, where soldiers stripped him of his garments and beat him one after another, screaming, Hail, King of the Jews, all before going to a cross where he was nailed to rugged beams to face excruciating pain and to finally die from asphyxiation. Such is why Jesus finally breaks the silence in the heart of our passage and says to Pilate, You would have no authority over me at all 
unless it had been given from above. You see, Jesus, fulfilling the will of the Father, was bruised, beaten, and crucified for you and for me. Do you see it? In other words, John 19 is no accident. It was God's ultimate act of love and justice extended for you and for me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you believe that today? Well, that is the invitation for each of us to say, yes, I believe this good news. Point three, when life becomes uncertain around us, behold, the sacrifice and gift of Christ's power. So let me land this plane. You ready? I invite each of us to think back to our opening story about the boys on the bus. In the blink of an eye, everything went sideways for them. The person actually tasked with keeping them safe lost consciousness. And all of the kids went into a state of hysteria. But what did the boys do? They kept their composure and they sought help. And help came in the form of a random dispatcher and a kind pastor. You know what they ended up seeing and saying? God was on our side. In this life, we will all face uncertain times. Maybe you are facing an uncertain time right now. It might be with your health. It might be with your housing. It might be with your job. It might be with your relationship or relationships. We are invited, each one of us, to know this game-changing truth. You ready? God is on our side. How do we know? We know because of Jesus. Every lash, every drop of blood, every cry on the cross bears witness to this truth, that God is on our side. Friends, faith is not determined by the uncertainty around us, but what Jesus has done for us. No matter what you're facing today, I invite you to place all of your trust, all of your faith in Christ. Why? Because God is on our side. Let us pray. Dearly Father, we thank you for this message, this good news. You didn't deliver what we deserved through our sin, but you delivered justice and love through your son. May we see it and believe it, and may it change everything in our lives. When things go sideways, when things are chaotic or uncertain, may we hear this whisper that God is on our side. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the gift of your son. 
For it's in his name we pray. Amen.